It's beginning to look a lot like chaos. When most of you listen to this, it would almost be December. So apart from the regular chaos that comes with holiday preparation, with shopping and whatnot, the end of the year marks a threshold and invites a pause for reflection. So how should Bluetech reflect on its year? Well, a book called Factfulness, 10 Reasons We're Wrong About the World and Why Things Are Better Than You Think, was a good place for me to start. For me, it was an accidental reminder of what good insight looks like and how powerful it can be in changing perception. The book offers a new framework for how to think about the world. For example, let me ask you, in the last 20 years, the proportion of people living in extreme poverty worldwide has A, almost doubled, B, remained more or less the same, or C, almost halved. Which do you think it is? Many won't believe it, but the answer is C, it's almost halved. Let's try another one. How did the number of deaths per year from natural disasters change over the last 100 years? Has it, again, A, doubled, B, remained about the same, or C, decreased to less than half? Correct if you said C, it is decreased to less than half. Now, the author of the book, Hans Rosling, believed that the world was making remarkable progress and he wanted everyone to know about it. He offers clear, actionable advice for how to overcome our innate biases and see the world more factfully. So what have I learned? Well, for one, data is powerful. You know, the idea that when used correctly, data can give us confidence and and clarity in the world around us features throughout the book and highlights the importance of data for business to understand markets and consumers. Secondly, it's that curiosity goes a long way. It's fairly established that researchers are curious by nature. But this point refers to our thinking style when conducting analysis. It's also a gentle reminder to take time to understand the perspectives of others so that our findings are grounded correctly. And finally, compare and contextualize. Through a range of examples, this book emphasizes the need for critical thinking and analytical exploration in order to go beyond the most convenient story to find that real story. So right now, November is about both endings and beginnings. For Blue Tech, this means take the morals of the book and do what we do even better. Through 2019, we will strive to get better at rationalizing the intelligence we gather in a more useful and actionable way for our clients. And it's something very much on our minds as we've been planning Bluetech's editorial output for 2019. We welcome any comments or suggestions from any of our listeners. Now, moving on to our next piece. You may be familiar with the term FANG, F-A-N-G, a term coined by Jim Cramer on CNBC's Mad Money to describe four biggest tech giants in terms of stock valuations. These are Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, and Google. So at Bluetech, we took this concept, applied it to water, and flipped it around, asking which are the four big investors in water tech? Let's hear more from Paula Callahan, CEO of Bluetech Research. Paul, welcome and thank you for joining us. Tell us about how you adopted this concept into our world of water. Well, I think I noticed, like many people have this year, this term FANG becoming more popularly used to describe Facebook, Amazon, Netflix and Google as industry giants that were very dominant in this area. And when I think about water investment, I think we often have a number of companies or investors that 
are top of mind. I would say True North Venture Partners, Emerald Technology Ventures, XPV Water Partners and Skion would be recognized as some of the top four. And, and they abbreviate to TEXS Texas for short. But when we looked at it, we thought that perhaps this is more fragmented than it might appear at first glance. I mean, everyone knows that water is quite fragmented, generally speaking, in mm -hmm. terms of the technologies and the customers. So we studied the data that we had and we could find that there were 320 investments in water we could identify. There were 158 individual investors that had made those investments. And when we counted up the total number of investments from those top four, the, the Texas grouping, there were 34. So the top four actually accounted for less than 10% of the total number of investments in water. They're tough to, tough to impress or hard to impress. They're clearly. a discerning group, clearly, <laughs> yeah. So basically the message for early stage water companies is you're more likely to receive investment from investors outside the group, this group, the 90%. Yeah, clearly. I mean, although there's a very clearly identifiable group, nine times out of ten, yeah, yeah, water technology companies are likely to receive investment from groups other than those top four. And indeed, we can see 158 investors that have made investments in water. Yeah. And who might the 90% be? I mean, are we talking about strategic corporate investors like Suez Ventures, Dow Ventures, Asahi Kasai, the Karita Group? Yeah, well, the strategic corporate investors are, yeah, a very dominant and important group, as you just outlined. Yeah. In addition to those, there are myriad of investors nobody's ever heard of or may never hear of. <laughs> they could be local funds in a particular state that they're not looking for water investment, they're looking for just a good investment. And they make up quite a lot of the bulk, as well as family offices. And family mm -hmm. offices are generally less visible. They don't go around advertising that widely. Um, but you know, one example would be Absara out yeah. of the UK, and they've invested into Valor, WaterSmart, um, Aquaspy. Okay, and so like Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, and Google, then do each of these in four investors or the big four or Texas, I should say, have some have a different investment strategy? Do they all each go behind something different? Yeah, they've all adapted and evolved over time. Yeah. So, I mean, there's been a general adaptation, I think, or evolution of water investment. Mm -hmm. If you looked at the period from maybe 2007 to 2014, part of the clean tech wave, a lot of the big VC houses like Vantage Point, Claire Perkins, Coastal Ventures, DFJ, they all made one investment, maybe two, but generally not more than two in water. So Vantage Point invested into Ostara, DFJ in Oasis and WaterSmart, Tyner Perkins and APT, and Coast Sweat and companies like Calera. Common denominator, there was no real thesis there other than it had something to do with water. And also there were no successful exits. And that was the general experience. And a lot of those big groups backed away from water. But in the meantime, those that have stayed have learned and adapted to that niche. And that reminded me of Charles Darwin and his discovery on the Galapagos Islands <laughs> of evolution when he noticed that all these finches were slightly different from one another. One had a sharp beak, one had a long beak. And I think it's a funny way of looking at it, but if you look at True North, Emerald, XPV and Skion, they have diverged one another yeah. over the years. And they've all found their own little sweet spot niche. Um, you know, you could say True North, for example... They tend, their strategy is keep their little chicks in the nest for as long as possible until they're fully grown. In fact, they may never exit, and that doesn't matter because the companies tend to be big and profitable at the end of this. So they have Nanostone, 
disruptive technology company they hope to grow. Emerald Technology Ventures has had three successful exits in the last seven years, which is a good track record. Mm-hmm. The last two have been in digital or smart water. They've leaned into that area, and that's been quite effective for them. Yeah. XPV is now much more of a growth equity fund, whereas before they might have been a technology VC investor. And you can see that if you think of Nexum, for example. That's their nutrient platform, yeah. where they've combined a few companies and grow it to support an investment thesis. Mm-hmm. Similarly, in digital and IoT, they've got a bunch of companies that cluster around that theme and likewise decentralized. And they've had their first successful exit to Ovivo with Filterbox recently. And Skion, I call these the Megalodon feast <laughs> of the bunch because they tend to buy and hold on to quite large companies. Um, I guess coming from the BMW heritage, they're attracted to things which are solid and reliable. And Ovivo and PAC certainly tick those boxes. And then they add to that different um, other entities that complement those companies. Okay, very interesting. So some key points there, which is prior to, say, five, six years ago, there was really no strategy for investments in water, whereas now we're seeing much more of a, of a focus Clearly, from the big four, at least, each of them being ever so slightly different. Um, the big four don't invest very much. About 10% is what we said. So the key message there for early stage startup companies is... Essentially, for the companies, broaden your horizons. Yeah. Be aware that many of the investors who will invest in you may be corporate strategics, family offices, or investors you may not be familiar with. And the key to success appears to be, I would say, it's focus, specialization, and understanding. Excellent. Great. Very interesting piece. Thanks, Paul. Yeah, we keep going. Thanks very much, Julia. And finally, I've Reese Owen, our Editor-in-Chief online, with updates from Bluetech's work this month. Well, this month we've published a new blueprint on electro-deionization technology, or EDI. Uh, EDI, of course, uses electricity instead of chemical treatment to regenerate ion exchange resins. Um, and the advantage of it is it uh, results in a lower operating expense than if chemical rinses were required. So, and it's used as a polishing technology, uh, mainly to produce ultra-pure water for industries such as microelectronics, but it's also used in the food and beverage uh, industry and for high-pressure boilers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's published this month, and it's part one in a series of electro-separation blueprints, which we're publishing over the next few weeks. So we're looking at the broad range of similar technologies in that category. So we'll be updating our electrodialysis reversal, or EDR, uh, blueprint. Uh, so EDR is slightly different in that the polarity of the electrodes is reversed, which reduces scaling and fouling. And we'll also be updating our blueprint on capacitive deionization, uh, in which ion-selective membranes are used mainly for desalination. So watch out for those. They'll be published over the next few weeks. And uh, looking back to last month, following a very successful breakfast briefing at West Tech in New Orleans, uh, in which tag expert Bill Toffey spoke about the recovery of bioresources from wastewater, we're presenting a report on the same subject this month. Uh, this sums up the state of various technologies uh, and looks at companies active in each sector. And what we're talking about here is things like recovery of biopolymers to make plastics from wastewater, uh, that was a very popular subject, actually, at West Tech, in terms of papers presented. Uh, it's, it's still at the research phase in terms of 
the commercial viability of bioplastics from wastewater. Momentum is building up, uh, partly because of the issue of plastics in water generally being so high on the public agenda. Mm -hmm. It's a slightly separate issue, of course, but it's still driving interest in plastics generally. And one of the most striking presentations actually at WestTech was uh, from Lego. Um, now that's a company whose entire business model is arranged around plastic, obviously, and they're being forced to tackle the issue of plastic and water head-on at the moment. So uh, in the report, we list the most innovative companies in each segment, whether that's uh, biofuels or fertilizers or phosphorus extraction. And this sits alongside our data on the intelligence platform. So we've got reference lists, technology S-curves, and reference with maps of, of, of where companies are operating. So uh, what else? This month we have analysis of uh, the recent FT Water Summit in London, which featured some of the world's largest companies, particularly in the food and drink sector, uh, such as PepsiCo and Diageo, as well as uh, representatives of over 30 different mining companies. And the companies described how they're tackling the issue of water risk, not just in their factories, but interestingly also in their supply chains. So Mars Food, for example, recognizes that half of the unsustainable water practices that contribute towards their products, their pet foods and so on, uh, half of the unsustainable water practices uh, originate in unsustainable uh, rice farming, uh, with water not being used as efficiently as it could be. So Mars sits on the board of the International Sustainable Rice Initiative. Uh, and we heard lots and lots of stories about companies getting involved, not just in trying to reduce the water use in their own factories, but also taking responsibility across the supply chain and trying to help reduce their impact. Uh, so it, things do seem to be moving along in terms of concrete actions taken by companies increasingly to address water risk. And, and that's something we're going to be looking at quite extensively in, in, in Blue Tech Forum next year. I was just about to say the same thing, Reese. Your, your, your comments there reminded me about the actual Bluetech Forum event itself, which will you know, bring together a number of different industry leaders. So you mentioned food and beverages being one, but we'll also be hearing from companies and from the mining sector, companies from the oil and gas sector, companies from the pharmaceutical, the cosmetics industry. Um, and as you say, they're all doing something interesting to either minimize water usage or increase efficiencies in their treatment process. So... Yeah, something that we're working on. Yeah, it's definitely a, a, grow, a growing area of interest and something which is really starting to move along now. It's something yeah. Blue Tech has been talking about for many years. Yeah. And it's something that many companies have been talking about for many years. But now it seems to be really moving into something that, you know, companies can't ignore rather than just something that some pioneering companies are getting involved with. Absolutely. Uh, still, also on companies, we, we have a company report uh, on agrobics this month. Uh, they have an innovative fixed-film anaerobic biotreatment uh, technology. Um, and just one more thing to say, uh, we're looking ahead to 2019 now in terms of our editorial output. Uh, some of the topics already confirmed for next year include uh, a report on ultra-pure water, artificial intelligence and machine learning, algal wastewater treatment, and uh, many, many other subjects. Uh, but, of course, we always welcome suggestions from our clients and, and requests, so any feedback on that as we as we go through it between now and December is very welcome. Absolutely. And just 
talking about looking ahead into 2019, we have an end of year webinar coming up uh, on the 6th of December. Um, so it's a good opportunity for clients uh, to listen in on some of the top trends of, from 2018 that we've spotted um, and, uh, and certainly a look to 2019 to see um, what will happen, what could happen. So join us for that. Uh, the invitations should have been circulated out. If not, get in touch with us for uh, information on how to register. With that, thanks very much for that, Rhys. Indeed, a very busy month. Yes, as it always is in the run-up to the end of the year. Exactly, exactly. Yep, we're all looking forward to Christmas now at this stage. (laughs) Great, thanks very much for your time there, Rhys. No problem. Bye-bye. Thank you.